The title of what I'm sharing with you this morning is the book of 1 Timothy. The book of 1 Timothy, and this is part one. So in your Bible, would you please turn there so long and get ready? We'll get into the word shortly. But as kind of a preamble, I'd like to just say for folks that have joined us right now. So why are we preaching through 1 Timothy? And the reason is that it forms part of our theme for this year. We believe that the Lord laid on our hearts that our theme should be the year of Timothy, raising up the next generation. And so it ties into that. I sincerely believe that this is on God's heart for us as a church in this year. And you know that we can learn so many things through Paul's writings to young Timothy. So let's be open to what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen? Spiritual antennas tuned in, ready for what God is saying. Now, in terms of an introduction itself to 1 Timothy, this book or this epistle, who was the author of 1 Timothy? Well, it was the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul wrote 1 Timothy when he was in Macedonia in about AD 62-63. So here he is writing this letter and uh, he's in Macedonia. And then about four or five years later, Paul would write 2 Timothy from a Roman prison, from a Roman jail cell. Paul paid a great price in following the Lord. But it's interesting that the second epistle he would write from prison. Paul was writing to Timothy, who was overseeing the church in Ephesus. Ephesus was seen as one of the key churches in the New Testament. Timothy was overseeing this church and he was also overseeing other churches in Asia. And what's interesting, even though Timothy was young, he was given a great deal of responsibility. Why? Almost assuredly because he had proved faithful in the responsibility that he had been given. There's a principle in the word of God that I believe in very firmly. Listen to this. Faithful in little, faithful over much. Faithful in little, faithful over much. I believe it. I've seen it in countless people's lives. When they take God seriously and begin to take what God has said to them to begin to do, you be faithful in that. You watch. God will take you places you've never dreamed of. And so Paul, uh, sorry, Timothy would have been a faithful young man. Now, Timothy had quite a big assignment. He had to, number one, get rid of false doctrine. Number two, he had to safeguard public worship. And number three, he had to develop mature leadership in the church. So let's get into the passage, and here we start. First Timothy chapter 1, and we're going to look at the first 11 verses, verse 1 to 11 in the New King James Version. Here it goes. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope, 
to Timothy, a true son in the faith. Isn't that a lovely phrase? To Timothy, a true son in the faith. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse three, as I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. That's important. Nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in faith. Now, the purpose of this commandment is love. Let me just stop there for a moment. The purpose of the commandment is love. So this is not the commandment of God to love the Lord your God and all of that. No, the purpose of the commandment that Paul is referring to here is the commandment he's just given to Timothy to talk to those people about stopping the, the wrong doctrine and the fables and all the nonsense that they're teaching. The purpose of that commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith, from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say, nor the things which they affirm. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Now listen to this, knowing this, that the law is not made for the righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate. By the way, what we're about to read now, there's like a paralleling between these things and the Ten Commandments here in terms of the aspects of the principles of the law. It says, the law is not made for righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, the last verse, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. And we say, the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen? Amen. Do you love the word of God? Amen. Please keep this open. We're going to refer back several times during our time together. Now, I would like to share three points with you today. And we will focus on point one and point two. Definitely major part, point one and two. And then point three is brief at the end. But here is point one. As follows, we need more fathering and sonship in the kingdom. Would you please say this aloud with me? We need more fathering and sonship in the kingdom. As you look at that, would you agree with that statement? I really believe it. We need more of this. More spiritual fathers and more spiritual sons and the relationship and the growth and everything that comes from that. Now, look at verse one and two. It says here, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ our hope, verse two, to Timothy, 
a true son in the faith. We're going to stop there. Now, what stands out for me as I look at just those first two verses is the special relationship that existed between Paul and Timothy. And if you want to explore the book of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, this has to be emphasized. You cannot possibly grab a hold and grasp what is really going on in First and Second Timothy unless you carefully acknowledge that there was this relationship, a special one between Paul and Timothy, and it must be emphasized. Paul referred to Timothy as a true son in the faith. Isn't that beautiful? He talked about his true son in the faith. May I ask you, are you a spiritual son to someone? May I ask you, are you a spiritual father to someone? Because we need more of this in the kingdom of God. Amen? In terms of this, let's just explore the relationship between Paul and Timothy for a few moments. So, everyone say Timothy. <laughs> Timothy was one of Paul's co-workers. He was part of what I would call Paul's dream team. Paul had a couple of dream team guys that were around him. And this was uh, where Timothy was in Paul's dream team. And Timothy was a young man. Timothy came from a wonderful heritage of faith. The Bible tells us that he had a faithful mother, Eunice, and a grandmother, Lois. How many of you are grateful if you had a grandmother that prayed for you or a mother that prayed for you? Wave a hand at me, all right? It is actually an absolutely wonderful thing. By the way, I say that if you have a praying mom, you ain't got a chance to mess around. You might think, well, I'm going to fool around, mess around with hell, etc. Your mom is going to pray hell right out of you, you know? There's a story I remember from years ago, and it's Jesse the Planters in his BC days. And there he was, and drunk out of his mind, and clubbing, and so on, and he's dancing on the dance floor, and, and right there in this club, in this kind of an unwholesome environment, he senses the presence of the Lord, and now he knows his mom's praying. So he phones, and he gets onto the phone to his mom, and he said, Mom, quit praying. Please, stop, quit praying. She said, oh, boy, I ain't never going to stop praying for you. You're going to come to Jesus. You're going to pre be a preacher of the Word of God, you know? <laughs> if you've got a praying mom, you ain't got a chance. Try sow your wild oats. God's going to hear the prayers of your mom. Come on, come on. And so here he had this heritage of faith. Timothy had this heritage of faith. Now, it would seem that Paul must have been impressed by Timothy's passion for Jesus. I'm not sure where they met and how that came about and so on, but it would appear that before Paul met Timothy, Timothy was already uh, a young man who loved the Lord. And somehow Paul must have come across this Timothy and he thought, wow, this guy is serious about God. This guy. He's got his heart focused on Jesus. 
And you know, listen to this, that Timothy was probably, listen, younger generation, he was probably in his late teens or early 20s when he joined Paul in ministry. So in other words, yeah, Timothy is probably somewhere between 17 years old and 25 years old, and he is making a mega impact for the kingdom of God. And I want to declare over our younger generation that is part of this church and this ministry that you're not going to waste time having no purpose, knowing what you, not knowing what you want to do, messing around, just saying, well, I'm just going to backpack through Europe for five years and try to find myself. I declare that you're going to find yourself in God now in this time. You're going to find your purpose in God. You're not going to waste time. And you're going to begin to give yourself to what God has in store for you. Let me remind you that the purpose that God has for your life is far better than any purpose that you could ever come up with. And so I declare that our younger generation is not going to be confused, but they will be living according to a purpose-filled living, realizing that God is laying this on my heart and I begin to move in this direction. Come on, come on. Timothy is a great example for you. Now, Paul mentored Timothy. And he became this true spiritual son. Paul sent Timothy on many missions trips to different churches. Specifically, Paul sent Timothy to Ephesus. Ephesus was a key church in the New Testament time. So he sent uh, Timothy to Ephesus to confront the church, yes, as a young man, and to restore good doctrine. And this is actually why 1 Timothy was written, because it was Paul's instruction to Timothy how to sort out the mess that was going on in the church there. That's actually the purpose behind the book of 1 Timothy. We also see that Paul gave Timothy a lot of practical advice in terms of how the church should function. He also gave Timothy a lot of personal advice on how to live his personal life for Jesus, how to live effectively for Jesus. And so as I look at this relationship, I realize that Paul was the older, experienced apostle, the older generation. And Timothy was the younger, inexperienced pastor who was the next generation. But you know what's most important as I cast my eyes across what we've been reading is this. Paul was a father. He was a spiritual father. Timothy was a son. He was a spiritual son. You know what? They needed each other. God seemed to have put them together. It seems to have been a divine connection. And perhaps, listen to this, their influence may have been less, even far less, unless they had come to meet each other. That's quite a thought, eh? Listen to the statement. Your ability to step into greater influence could be connected to someone that crosses your path. There may be people that in this year or two ahead, they will cross your path like Paul and Timothy's paths crossed. And as a result of that, there came greater kingdom influence. I want to say, look out for those divine connections. Look out for the spiritual fathers. Look out for the spiritual sons, etc. 
because it could cause you to have a far greater influence for God. Now listen to, um, in terms of this whole thing of fathering and needing fathers, it says in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 15, I'll just read it to you. So Paul says, though you may have 10,000 instructors, in other words, teachers, in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. Paul, who understood what it was to be a father, he was, he was just like, Burdened by the fact there's not enough fathers in the church. There's not enough spiritual fathers. And so we need more fathering and sonship in the kingdom of God. By the way, there are a lot of people that can teach the word, but there aren't many fathers who will take the time to take an interest in you and help you grow. And that's the difference what Paul did. He took an interest. It wasn't just like, hey, you know, I'll send you my notes. But it was a case of, listen, I'm invested in your life. And so we need the older generation to father and guide the younger generation. And by the way, my prayer in all of this is, Lord, open the eyes of the older generation to see their Timothys. And also I'm praying, Lord, open the eyes of the younger generation to see their Pauls. Can I get an amen on that? Really, we need God's help in that. By the way, if you're struggling as ladies here, being referred to Paul or Timothy, uh, if you're an older person, we, we, okay, we don't have to say Paul, we can say Pauline. How about that? <laughs> or if you're a younger lady, maybe we can say instead of Timothy, we can say Tiffany. How about that? Okay. So everybody's happy? Yeah. All right, good. <laughs> Point number two. Warn certain people not to teach false doctrines. Say this out aloud with me. Warn certain people not to teach false doctrines. We're busy in a study of Timothy. And this is what it says. And in this first part, this first half of chapter one, this comes out abundantly clearly. Let me say, child of God, in the last days, some of what we will have to be most cautious of is false doctrines. Doctrines which are messed up, confused, doctrines of demons as it even speaks about elsewhere in the Bible. We are gonna have to be very discerning because the enemy wants to come in and oftentimes he will take the truth and then he twists it. But the truth that is twisted is a lie. And so warn certain people not to teach false doctrines. All right, your Bible is open. Look at verse three to verse eight. Paul is speaking here, and just a little bit into verse three, he says to Timothy, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they, here it comes, teach no other doctrine. Say those words with me, teach no other doctrine. Is Paul being clear to Timothy? Yeah. Charge them not to teach any other doctrine. Verse four, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in faith. Jump to verse six. From which, from faith, from which some having strayed have turned aside to idle talk. 
desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things that they affirm. But we know that the law is good if it is used lawfully. So, what are the specific instructions to Timothy here? Well, one of them is very clear. Timothy had to put a stop to those who were teaching wrong doctrine. In other words, doctrines that were contrary to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as I was preparing for today and looking into what these doctrines could have been, according to some theologians, it seems that the main false doctrines that were being encountered in the church at Ephesus were these two. Number one, legalism. And number two, Gnosticism. In terms of legalism, what is it? It is the belief that the cross of Jesus Christ is not sufficient for salvation, but that you also must keep the law of Moses. That is a false doctrine. It's called legalism. Another one which seemed to have been really prevalent is Gnosticism. Would you say that word? Gnosticism. By the way, Gnosticism comes from the Greek word gnosis, gnosis, which means to know. So, But what is Gnosticism? It is the belief that through mystical secret knowledge you can find salvation. And so these guys were coming into the church and they said, no, 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 you don't need these things that Paul and Timothy and the guys have been teaching. Don't worry about that. All you need is you need like spiritual enlightenment. And as you open your, I don't know what, to the spiritual enlightenment, this mystical enlightenment comes, comes and then next thing you are in a special place and you are in the place of salvation. It was a false doctrine, Gnosticism. Here's a little question. What should you do? If you encounter where you may go and in conversations that you're in, what should you do if you encounter false doctrine? I want to tell you, you need to warn the person. You say, no, John, that's a bit difficult, eh? You know, I'm just a nice guy. I'm not like you that talk so much and so on, you know. Uh, hey, come on. You're a representative of Jesus Christ. And for maybe in many cases, we've kept quiet for far too long. Really. And so you need to warn them. Timothy had to warn false teachers. As representatives of Jesus Christ, we need to do likewise so you're not off the hook. Also, just to say this, that this doesn't mean that you need to now become God's sheriff. And you start to think that you are God's gift to take out every kind of thing, you know, that kind of thing. You start to think, well, I must open my YouTube channel and I'm just going to trash everything that's even remotely suspect. No, don't try to be God's, ship, uh, God's sheriff, let me tell you, because it's not the right thing to do. But if you come across something false, then don't keep quiet. Please tell the person next to you, don't keep quiet. Also, Timothy, in addition to the false doctrine, he had to warn the people, warn them against fables and endless talk about 
genealogies. What's that all about? That's this thing where people are talking about spiritual pedigrees and family trees and they pretty much try to say, well, you know, I think I'm probably connected into this line and so therefore I am superior, you must listen to me or my family tree is this and that. And you know what? Paul was not impressed with that stuff. You know that those discussions only wasted time and distracted people from hearing the good, solid teaching of the Word of God. Let me remind you, the enemy wants to come and try to distract in local churches. He wants to bring up all sorts of nonsense issues, and then you're spending so much time trying to fight all these issues, and the real thing is, yeah, address an issue, and then move on and focus on the most important thing. Focus on good, solid biblical teaching. And also, in terms of that... God's plan of salvation, when it is being spoken about, should stir faith in people's hearts. It should not stir up disputes. And so I would say to you, if you have been in situations where you're in endless theological fights and disputes and discussions and so on, then maybe you are not actually busy with the good news of the gospel because it brings freedom, it brings hope, it doesn't lead to endless disputes and that sort of thing. Listen to this, this is crucial. Don't wander away from the good news of the gospel. Don't wander away from the simplicity of the gospel. There is great safety there. Now, look at verse seven and eight. I'm reading now from the NIV. It says, they want, Paul speaking, they want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they're talking about. Don't you like it when the Bible gives it straight? <laughs> they want to be teachers of the law. They do not know what they, they haven't got a cooking clue, all right? Or about what they so confidently affirm. Sometimes, people who are talking the biggest lot of nonsense seem to talk with such you know, elegant words and they seem to talk with such confidence that they trick you into thinking that they know what they're talking about. Paul said, you know what? These guys don't even know what's cooking, you know? The lights are on, but nobody's home. <laughs> and he goes on to say, we know that the law is good if one uses it properly. And so these false teachers were acting like experts of the law, but they didn't have a clue. You know what they were trying to do? They were trying to mix Judaism and Christianity. They were trying to mix law and grace. I want to tell you, they can never ever mix. It's like trying to mix oil and water. It just fundamentally cannot be mixed. And I wanna say this loud and clear. Listen, in terms of all of this, I wanna say this, listen here. Christ is enough. Come on, I want to say it again. Christ is enough. Come on, Christ is enough. You do not need to keep the law of Moses. Christ is enough for your salvation. Christ is enough. Christ is our life, not the law. Christ is our life. He is our peace. He is our righteousness. He's the way to salvation. Wow. Praise God. Let us be clear on these things. And you know what? This false teaching of legalism has crept into the church 
over and over and over again throughout the centuries. It has been like a devilish plague. And I want to say to you very clearly, watch out for legalism. It will come and steal from you in no uncertain terms. Watch out for it. Every now and again it crops up. A couple of years after starting Choose Life, maybe seven or eight years, we had a number of people, I don't know, let's say 10 or 15, that suddenly got caught up in this whole thing of legalism. And next thing, it started to affect their lives, and next thing, they're growing long beards and wearing funny things and strange outfits, and suddenly they cannot use their cell phone on this day, and they are legalistically observing the Sabbath. But you know what? We, the, the Sabbath, the Sabbath is ours to enjoy within the principles of God. And so you know what? Later on, the fruit in the lives of those people that went that route, every one of them experienced some degree of destruction for what they went into. This thing will kill you and it will dry out your bones. You know what my dad used to say? I've got it written here. Avoid legalism like the plague. Don't you like that? Please tell the person next to you, avoid legalism like the plague. Come on, tell the person next to you. Avoid it like the plague. We don't want legalism. Now listen to what it says in Ephesians 2, verse 8 to 9 in the NIV. It says, for it is by grace. Would you please say that word, grace? When you're talking about all the law and legalism and stuff, then there's this beautiful word, grace which is like, oh, it is by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. <laughs> you know what? We can't boast, but we can just boast in Jesus. We can't boast and say, well, I did so much right and that's why God's got a place in heaven. No, no, no. That boasting stinks. The righteousness that we have comes from Jesus. We receive it as a gift. I want to tell you, like we sang earlier, Jesus paid it all. He's the one that paid it all. I don't have to pay anything. I just have to say, God, I receive your free gift of salvation and eternal life and grace in Jesus. And this was very important in these New Testament times. It was very important that things were clear regarding the grace of God. Still just under this point, Paul said that these self-styled teachers did not understand the purpose for which the law was given. Allow me just to explain that. The law was never given, never meant to be a means to salvation. But it was meant to bring an awareness of sin and our need for God. That was the purpose of the law. Listen to this statement. When the law has done its work in the life of the sinner, then that person is ready to cry out to God, Lord, save me by your grace. Also, it says in Galatians 3.23, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith, praise God. And so it's so important to realize that the law came about to make us realize, wow, we can't meet God's standard. <laughs> 
And God, this draws me to you. I have to have your help. And God said, help is on the way. Jesus is coming. Salvation is coming. The blood is coming. New creations in Christ Jesus are coming. Praise God. Come on, can anyone get excited? Can you get excited? As I'm ending this point, number two, I just want to say, in terms of false doctrines and so on, listen to this. If you want to protect yourself in these last days against false doctrine, essentially there are two things you can do. Number one, get to know the Bible. And number two, keep your eyes on Jesus Christ alone. Not Jesus and something. Not Jesus and the law of Moses. Not Jesus and... Keep your eyes on Jesus alone. And you know what? You've got nothing to fear. You're following the word. Your eyes are on Jesus. And the Bible says, keep looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Well, you're receiving this child of God. Number three, the last one. I said this would be very short. Just like Paul, we are entrusted with the glorious gospel. Say this out loud with me. Just like Paul, we are entrusted with the glorious gospel. Now, look at verse 11 in your Bible. Is your Bible still open? It's the last verse we're gonna look at. It says, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed, you could say entrusted to me, committed to my trust. By the way, just notice this that the gospel is glorious. <laughs> That's what it says, the glorious gospel. Don't you just love that? Come on, child of God, the gospel is glorious. Oh, God's plan of salvation is incredible. It blows your mind. Thank you, God, for the glorious gospel. But now, Paul says that he had been entrusted by God. Would you say the word entrusted? Paul says, I have been entrusted by God with the message of the good news, this glorious gospel. Paul took his responsibility very seriously. It was his life's mission from the moment he received that. And as a result, his heart and life was set on fire and he would eventually preach across the entire Roman Empire in days when it was very hard to travel, when it didn't feel like a global village like it does feel like right now. And he was entrusted, he took it seriously, and so what was he doing? He was going all over. He was a guardian of the gospel and he would proclaim the gospel. Now here's the thing, the moment, listen carefully, the moment you receive Jesus Christ as Lord, you also are entrusted with the gospel. You say, I didn't realize that when I prayed that prayer of salvation, but it was happening right at the same time. I want to say it again. The moment you received Jesus Christ, in that moment, you too became entrusted with the gospel. Say this after me. I am entrusted with the good news of the gospel. And so as I'm drawing to a close, I wanna say, let's take our responsibility seriously. Let's realize that we've been entrusted with this wonderful news, the greatest news of all of creation. 
And my last statement is this. May we be faithful guardians of the gospel and faithful proclaimers of the gospel. Would you give the Lord a big hand of praise now? Come on. Oh, come on, lift him up for his glorious gospel and his good news that has rescued us.